Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnerklein. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. I did. Perfect. Okay. Daniel, welcome. In Penny person. The draw. The draw. As you called it. The draw? The draw. The draw. The draw. I think that's um, referring to pulling a bow back, right? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I like it. The draw? Prepping for what's about to happen. You know what's kind of funny though? Mm. Cutting for sign is the podcast. Yeah. That's like tracking. Yeah, you're right. Then you would find it. Yeah. Then you would draw. You're right. But I think that the, the non sequiturness is okay. <laughs> now, I think that's the first time I ever understood what non sequiturness means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We unlocked that one for me. That's so it. perfectly used that you could your brain could not do anything but understand it. That's 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 the power unusual in my life (laughs) (laughs) i get to the end of a grade like third grade fourth grade still eating glue not quite sure how i got there you know what's funny about you and and words is that you do like you do you have a little bit of dyslexia Mm. yeah oh definitely but then like your right your ability to write is really beautiful oh man you know dude imagine if you learned words too (laughs) 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 i'm a dangerous man daniel (laughs) (laughs) if we combine uh any of us now i got i got i would get stuck on words but like mixed up words as a kid like i remember for like a a while i couldn't say new york and i could i could only say you nork for a long time like it was stuck yeah and and Every once in a while, it'll happen to me. Now it's just whole words rather than letters. So I'll say words out of sequence yeah. or family names out of sequence. And our, my entire family does it. Oh, really? Yeah. The whole family. Wow. It's like uh, I've seen you like with long words. Like we were just going through Bryn's intro. Yeah. And uh, there's like a multi-syllabic word, you know, <laughs> yeah. multi-multi-syllabic. How'd I do? I had to, I had to lift you my back, didn't I? A bit. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do some heavy lifting. Couldn't jerk with my back. <laughs> our, uh, our guest today probably doesn't have this problem uh, that we're talking about here. Mm. Bryn, she's a poet, is like a fucking sniper of words. She has a high command of words. You know? Yeah. I Look, think poets are kind of the cream of the crop. Definitely. Definitely. She... I'm, uh, the reason I'm hesitating is I, I'm thinking about some other writers I recently listened to where it feels the same, where it's yeah. like they slay language, they use language like a dancer who is who, who, who knows both the moves and can improvise perfectly and so that it seems like it's all perfect yeah. and belongs. Have you ever written a poem? Oh, sure. Yeah. Really? A few times. Yeah. Like recently? You know, um, yeah, I wrote a poem about New Mexico in February. February, you wrote a poem? Really? Uh-huh. Dang. Well, you don't have it, like, handy, do you? I don't think so. Bummer. 
yeah cool to cool to hear a poem that you wrote i'll try to dig it up sometime one time i took a a class on poetry in college and i was in a really rebellious place in life and i didn't like that they made me type the poems uh-huh like on a computer yeah and i got really mad about that <laughs> why I, why were you so dick. pissed off because i was just, you know, just rebe- i was I not happy. Need to be a dick about this i was i was not happy yeah. in my life and i was taking out on people which is generally what happens you know? yeah and i so i wrote the final the final paper the final poem i hand wrote it for one and the last line was and something to the effect of and my footprints uh my footprints landed over the professor's face as they were headed out the door. <laughs> it was like something to that effect. <laughs> How was your grade in that class? I'll, I'll tell you this much. I recently That's was hilarious. back on the campus and I was like, I need to look her up and apologize. Did you? Did you get a chance Fuck to do yeah. it? Yeah. No, because I don't know her name. I can't remember her name. Mm. But I, I can track her down. I need to do that. I, make I have a professor that. I need to track down too because she... Um, she was someone who encouraged me to write and I blew her off. Oh, that's yeah. a good, that's yeah. a good accountability. And I need to find her. Hold on, I'm making a note to, I got to do this. Yeah. Find that poetry professor and eat crow. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like a good, humble apology. Fuck yeah. Delivering dude. one. Uh, imagine if all of the potential apologies in people's hearts and minds in the whole world suddenly happened. What would happen? Oh my God. What would happen? Yeah. The world would have a massive orgasm. I feel like I've been reading the news recently where that kind of thing feels like it's like coming to the surface somehow. And I hope it is because there's so much shit where everyone is like easily hair triggered, offensed, yeah. uh, you know, offended. They we're looking for reasons to be offended by one another. We want to be pissed off at one another. And somewhere in there, I was starting to see this kind of rumbling of like a reconciliation. Hmm. and humility and apologies and i thought hmm, this seems apology unusual. for the first place my mind goes on that is the people who are too easily i had i would say it's yeah my opinion too easily offended would be the ones apologizing <laughs> <laughs> i hope so I hope <laughs> that's kind of mean. i hope I that's what's happening like, <laughs> i just like there's people who are easily offended and then they kind of uh, i have noticed kind of act like jerks you know definitely definitely i think that's the um it's the symptom right the easily offended is like kind of you know the classic you yeah. hate in others what you hate about yourself and you love in others what you love about yourself i think that that i i would love to unpack that one with you sometime yeah you know that one's an easy one to say but i what does that mean I heard it from a from a uh, psychology professor. I've heard wise motherfuckers say that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. I just think that it's potentially an un, like nuanced uh, expression of a truth that maybe could be teased out a little bit more. Like, you know what I mean? Like that thing uh, when you get defensive about something. Mm-hmm. They say, well, if you're defensive, obviously it's true. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true. I think yeah. that there's a, some truth to that. There like, is some truth to it. But I've also been in a situation where I've been accused of things that were like, not even close and you get offended yeah get, yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. i think you. the first time i i really talked smack to a high school teacher um which i got a demer- you know sent to detention for a week or something you about to say demerit yeah that's a great word it was i did it was a demerit which turned into a detention oh. like a solid you know 
because I I uh, got called out for something that was not untrue, and I, I let her have it. I let that lady have it. She doesn't deserve an apology from me. <laughs> You're not going to track her down and apologize. She owes me an apology. Maybe you track her down and demand an apology. <laughs> Anti-apology. <laughs> you have any idea how little I've thought about you in my life? <laughs> apologize. <laughs> you know, I do think that I, this one thing that I think that we're, we do a little bit on this podcast, it, 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 maybe we both value to some extent, is you get these sort of clunky ideas that come out into popular yeah. uh, psychology or science we we tend toward the psychology not as much toward the science and then you <laughs> the soft sciences <laughs> the soft science <laughs> it's the sweet science and then there's the soft science <laughs> soft science that would be a good name for an additional podcast um but i do think that like taking some of these terms and ideas that get that get packaged and um mass produced in a way yeah and and let's let's unwrap them let's dissect them a little bit let's let's look at them in their parts you know yeah. and then build some articulation around just one more level of uh specific language around what's really happening and i think that's so valuable i really do let's try that with Bryn. like with what i don't know let's just see let's see let's see if there if an opportunity comes up okay because she's she you know like we said at the beginning she's a she has a strong handle of language I mean, I might even yeah. say a master, <laughs> a mastery of language. Yeah. And, and that requires nuance beyond our level for sure. Well, we could even do it with that term right there. Mastery. Nuance. Oh, mastery. That's one right. of the things yeah, yeah. that I think is like easy to throw around. Mm. You get your masters in something. That just totally. means you're potentially as young as 24, 25. And you spent a couple of years. Whereas not, in, not even that, but still, I mean, not to say yeah. that masters can't be young, but yeah, yeah. you know, like for example, in the martial art that you and I trained in now you were training BJJ, but there was another one you did, you know, those guys, they're technical. They don't technically get the first, um, uh, the word master connected to their f- official title mm. until a minimum of 30 years practicing. Oh, wow. And yeah. then, they're a master yeah. of, of it theoretically but <clears throat> i always think like Bryn, what she's some maybe in her 30s she looks pretty young yeah. and you know maybe let's say you know you say she's probably a master well, it's like well what about when she's her 60 in her 60s and has been doing it for another yeah. 30 years is she a double master yeah you know, is she like a you know what i mean yeah Let's let's pump the brakes on the word master. Oh, there she is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Soapbox. <laughs> Calm down, Daniel. Calm down. Just breathe. <laughs> Bryn Saito, you are a fourth generation Japanese American and Korean American author of two books of poetry. Power Made Us Swoon, and The Palace of Contemplating Departure. You are also the winner of the Benjamin Saltman Award and a finalist for the Northern California Book Award. You hold degrees in creative writing, religious studies, and philosophy, and have been a visiting writer in the MFA programs at several universities. You co-founded the Yonsei Memory Project, an endeavor which awakens the archives of Japanese-American history through art-based, arts-based, intergenerational, and intercultural public programming. Your work has appeared in the New York Times, Vogue, and the American Poetry Review, and you are a two-time recipient of the California State Library's Civil Liberties Public Education Grant. Your work was recently featured in the opening ceremony for the People's Inauguration, a 10-day event inspiring collective action led by activist Valerie Kaur. 
Your third book of poetry will be published in the fall of 2023. Welcome, Bryn. How's it going? Going well. Thank you so much for having me today. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Can you give us a hint on the name of the third book? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no idea. Are Is you... it called I Wish? That's not me. <laughs> Are you kind of stuck on a name? I am. Yeah, yeah. I have like a I have a list of names that I don't really like and huh. I have no idea. I'll send you I should send you since you're writers, I'll send you both the lists and you just tell oh. me. I would what, geez, I would be it. thrilled to, yeah. to look at it like I have any idea <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what might well, be more valuable. <laughs> that's what I would wow. love because since you're outsider, since you haven't read the manuscript, yeah. I would yeah. love like people who haven't read it, who just would see it at a bookstore, you know, and just like react to like, yeah. oh, that, yeah, title, that title. So, okay, I'll for do sure. that. That <laughs> would be so, that'd be so fun to do. I'd be so into that. Actually, there was a title of one of your pieces that I didn't, that wasn't in the, uh, it didn't. Um, put it in the intro hmm. but it was deer and then a big dash and I was like yes. what is the fucking title of this thing yeah deer yeah that's a I um that's the title what is that the chat book I wrote so small like hmm. a small book of poems hmm. yeah um that were a lot of them were epistolary so letter poems so the deer and then the blank was just yeah. kind of a stand-in for deer oh whoever. deer whoever that is yeah yeah um, <laughs> oh, I think I think it was confusing then because so it would look like a big. It didn't look like a big uh, underscore. It didn't look like a big that. It was like a big dash. It was high. See, maybe <laughs> I should make it. Yeah, maybe I, I, should. I think that that yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not, not, not being uh, you know nitpicky, but that would be more clear. Thank you. I'm getting a lot of good feedback in the first three minutes. <laughs> do you want to? Yeah, wait. We could do this all day long. Yeah. We also we also listened to some of your poems earlier, and Ronald has several minutes of critique. Mm. critique so. Real pages and pages of notes. <laughs> I really wanted to actually talked to you about performative uh, <laughs> poetry reading first. <laughs> Just kidding. We're awesome. Awesome. Don't talk to us. No, yeah. Well, I'm really glad <clears throat> you're here, and I'm I'm impressed by your poetry and impressed by your body work and. And you're really curious about your your path. I mean, I'm guessing you have some personal family history, you know, because of what your stuff's about. And am, am I correct in assuming some family members were internment camps? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Was that in California or elsewhere? Yeah. So my dad's parents, so my grandparents on my dad's side, they were incarcerated in the um camps in southern Arizona at the Gila mm. River camps mm -hmm. um, during World War II during the mass incarceration you know Japanese Americans and um, so a lot of yeah a lot of my recent work sort of reckons with that history and yeah. um, you know just like feels into that and it's kind of speaks to those ghosts um, and then on the, my mother's side you know being Cre she's Korean American so of course that side you know they weren't sent to the camps but just a whole other kind of you know immigration story and yeah so can I ask a little bit about those camps I it's a part of American history I don't know a lot about but as I sort of wake up to the effects that the, some of the things that have happened in the world they just hit you a little bit later in life where you're like wait what the hell you know yeah. and that seems to be one that's kind of hitting me like that like and this is a little ignorant but was it like you're American you're um, you're living your life, working your job. And then they just are like, you're Japanese, come here. And then they throw you in. A, I mean, what was it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's pretty much that brutal. Um, let's see. Yeah. There was a lot of anti-Asian, you know, Chinese exclusion act, a lot of anti-Asian sentiment, you know, in those 
beginning of the 20th century, you know, as Asian immigration was happening, and then as Japanese Americans and Japanese immigrants were um, starting to farm in California, and they were really good at it because they brought these practices from Japan. And so there was a lot of um, tension there, right? Like some of the local farmers, some of the white farmers seeing the sort of the rise of these immigrant communities and, and seeing them economically thriving and not really, you know, so there's all this sort of anti kind of Japanese sentiment building up to yeah. World War II already. And, and so when Pearl Harbor happens, um, you know, there was, yeah, yeah, there were, yeah, it was just like sort of almost like this excuse, <laughs> like to, um, because there was actually no cases of actual espionage or spying or Whoa. disloyalty by the Japanese immigrants or Japanese Americans. Um, there was just the possible threat of, um, and so I think the governments and others just saw saw the bombing of Pearl Harbor as this sort of yeah, this this way to to start to implement these policies that were already rooted in these racist kind of ideas that yeah. were sitting in the culture. So, um, and then, have, did you did your uh, parents like pass on a lot of uh, stories about that? Were they pretty open talking about it? Or yeah, I remember we had spoken about this a little bit before, but they. Um, my grandparents, let's see, they, they died when I was like in high school or something. And, hmm. um, and I remember like, you might've had these, these projects when we were like in middle school, like go interview a grandparent or, you know, that yeah. kind of yeah. thing. And so I remember like I interviewed my grandfather and I remember I was able to hear some of the stories then, but I was only like, I don't know, 12 or 13. So I wasn't really taking them in, you For know, sure. like in a yeah. way. And, um, and so I didn't get to hear much from my grandparents at all about that time. And so there's just, and which happened with a lot of that generation, you know, there's just a lot of silence, a lot of, yeah. a lot of shame. Cause a lot of that generation, my grandparents' generation, they were American, you know, they were born yeah. and they were born here. They were, they were going to like boy scouts and like playing yeah. baseball, you know? And so when the country did that, I think there was this real sense of like, oh, wow, how could our country do this? And then a lot of just shame and silence, right? That can just shut down mm -hmm. the whole community. So mm -hmm. only kind of like you're saying, like it's only now um, the last like maybe 10 years, there's been another wave of like the elders wanting to share their stories because a lot of them are, you know, they're, they're dying or they're 90 years old yeah, now. Yeah, right, sure. And then they're seeing these different patterns in American culture now that remind them of what they went through, you know. Um, so there's a lot of this um, storytelling happening, I think, in the community and more awareness about it, So, which is great, I think. Yeah. And, then, and then as far as the subjects of poems that you write, is that, you know, was that a project you did and you don't think as much about it consistently? It was, a, it was an in-depth kind of deep dive on it, or is this a theme in your entire body of work or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it is. Now that I look back at those first two books, I see the seeds of some of this, you know, yeah. these interests and um, that deer project I mentioned that was that was more just sort of focused on that because my dad and I had gone in 2019, we finally visited the camp um, where my grandparents were incarcerated and um, we took a we did like a like a secular pilgrimage, you know, we kind of went, yeah. to, went to Gila River together. Um, and my dad's a very, he's just a funny, he's just very stoic and funny. And he, you know, he's not like, he doesn't 
like to talk about his feelings a whole lot or really, you know, share any of that. Um, But, but I think it was, you know, even though we didn't talk about it a lot, we ended up kind of corresponding through letters about it. And, um, and I, for the first time, I really saw my dad start to kind of open up around some of that and what it meant to him and what he learned from his parents. And so we did that journey together to Gila and, um, and Gila is located on the um, Gila River Indian Reservation. And so we got to, um, we had these two guides from the community there, from the American Indian community who, who led us around the land and, and just talked about the layers, right, of like, displacement yeah. and I mean just these yeah. layers of history that were in that place and yeah so my that chapbook I wrote dear that that kind of centered on that experience of going there with my dad and meeting mm-hmm. them <clears throat> out of curiosity did you visit the uh, camp in Santa Fe when you were there oh that's right there is a there is a department yeah. of justice camp yeah location in Santa Fe I did I went to that the place where that prison was yeah. Have you been there? Have you, have you? Yeah, that's where my wife and I met is in Santa Fe, not the, not the oh. camp, but we met in Santa Fe. She got her master's at St. John's. Oh, and, wow. And when I lived there, I remember <clears throat> I had a dog for the first time in my adult life. And they said, oh, the, you know, the best dog park is such and such. And I remember going out there and was like, I can't remember if there was a sign or how I put it yeah. together, but I realized, oh, this was where the internment camp was. Yes. And it felt, I mean, I'm just a, a white dude you know I'm just a dude <laughs> like but it felt um even to my young mind I was probably 23 24 and um a real lack of rev uh, of reverence is what it felt like to me mm. um I mean I don't know I mean I, I mean I don't want to like over spiritualize anything but but to have something like that happen somewhere and then just to, for it to be like this you know right dog park it just felt a little like underwhelming and and but that's I think probably says more about kind of the way politics works in New Mexico than anything else it's just this like always an afterthought always chasing something up and and what do you think would be appropriate that's a good question um let me say this first I I lived in Tulsa uh for college I went to the university to the university Oral Roberts University, which was Oral, I don't know, do you know who Oral Roberts is? Ew, yeah. Okay. Did you grow up yeah. evangelical? Yeah, I didn't, no, I grew up Christian and Buddhist, but okay. I studied uh, in religious studies, I studied um, evangelical Christianity, so. Oh, cool. A little so you, bit about it. So you may, you may know that Oral Roberts was the first televangelist. Yeah. And, um, and Oral was uh, of, of Native American heritage on his mother's side. And, and oh, had some of those traits and things like that. And, um, but Tulsa was the end of the Trail of Tears, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I had this apartment in this like cute and up and coming neighborhood on, on the river. And up the hill from my apartment was this giant tree that had this gate around it, this little mm-hmm. like maybe knee high iron fence with a little plaque. And all the plaque said, and it was, I'm holding up my fingers to about the size of a three by five card. And it said, here is the tree that the Cherokee nation brought their sacred fire to, to mark the end of the Trail of Tears. Wow. And, and that was also like really irreverent. I thought, I just thought this is, this is it. This is all we have to show. Mm. I mean, to get back to your question, um, I don't know. I mean, we, 
you know, there are memorials all over the United States for men who have fallen and died and all those things. And to think that it's, it's almost like without acknowledging the diff, the, what we did as a country, if we just don't do anything that we don't have to admit that we did anything, <clears throat> and that's kind of redundant, but but it's like with that, you know, if we don't put something up, then we don't ever have to actually own up to what we did. Well, that's what I was thinking when yeah. you were talking, like what would be appropriate, what would actually matter on an emotional level. And one of the yeah. things that came to my mind is what if some organization or leader wrote something, like really took a lot of time to write something and then like an accountability or apology, like something. Yeah. And then that thing was like carved into stone or it was made you know it was made yeah and it could always be read and it would just echo at all times i mean that's your that's your field right like you you were working on that project um and and what do you think the synthesis the you know what do you think that the desire is there like what kind of acknowledgement is desired in that project yeah i think it's exactly what you're both kind of speaking to just we use that phrase like awakening the archives and some of the work we've done with the Yonsei Memory Project has been like going to the sites in Fresno where those plaques are or, you know, because in Fresno, like the Fresno Fairgrounds was used as an initial detention center for Japanese Americans before they were sent further east. And so, you know, they slept in the horse stalls at the racetracks and the fairgrounds yeah. in the spring. Yeah. Um, and so there are all these, yeah, like you're saying, there's all these memory sites all everywhere. And it's like as as people walking around in public spaces, we barely notice them or, um, so yeah, Nikiko and I, Nikiko Masamoto, who's the co-founder of Yonsei Memory Project, um, with me, we, we would, we started taking people like on bus tours to these sites and using kind of art and poetry to sort of like mm. interact with the monuments and different, you know, like mm -hmm. doing different somatic activities or, or doing writing exercises around these places. Yeah. That's or even great. asking those questions that you're asking, like, what would you want to see here? And um, we've made like, um, like mandala type, like art sort of arrangements around the monument, you know, just as the way to like bring attention to these, these tiny plaques in the ground, you know, just these tiny yeah. little markers. Oh. Um, and that's been some of the work and sort of like what you were saying, Daniel, like what are the current documents, like these documents of apology or these, or news stories or these these what are ways in which these these histories are still sort of alive and could we bring those into to to the memory practices and yeah. um so yeah that's been some of the the work and and the more you do it yeah the more you realize like gosh everywhere you walk or you know, like everywhere you yeah. go mm -hmm. well we were talking in uh we do a little pre um session just ron and i called the draw and we um <laughs> <laughs> it's called that as of now. Shut up. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say something. I couldn't even I couldn't even say it without laughing. Uh, and um uh in that session we were talking about apology and accountability. Mm -hmm. And because mm -hmm. I had written I had taken a poetry class in college and was kind of in a dark place and long story short, just wrote like a really irreverent and just frankly rude and mean poem uh kind of toward the professor and mm -hmm. this is like the last time you know I ever had any contact with them and it was way back in college and so I was like I I love when you get hit with something you did in the past and then you're like oh I need to 
maybe I can be accountable for this. Maybe I can apologize. And it's like, it comes from here, you know, it's not like a mental thing. And I've found that every time that I've done that, um, it's been very welcomed, even if it seems like it might be out of date or, or that it might bring up pain in that person. It has not. It's been like the popping of a nice, like, boy, mm-hmm. zit situation. I feel it seems to have been good and relieve pressure. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, just thinking about where it personally in our lives that we might be able to do that. And then, you know, being, mm-hmm. I guess, to some extent, uh, a proponent of that in life, uh, not only organizations, countries, I mean, that gets challenging, you have to be like an activist for that, which I totally respect, but it's like, mm-hmm. where can we do that in our own lives? You know? mm-hmm. May I, may mm-hmm. I ask you a, a really personal question around that kind of sure. sense of resentment and a potential place of apology? Um, uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, and you can fill in any gaps and also just tell me to shut the hell up if you need to, like, it's totally okay. So I worked for a, um, a car company in England for a couple of years and they were a Chinese owned car company, uh, a British brand, but Chinese owned all my, all my bosses, bosses were party officials. And, and one day I am in conversation, just, you know, you know, the equivalent of, of water cooler banter and, and I hear uh, one of my Chinese coworkers, a Chinese national, a young woman who was very, very intelligent, super educated, say something insanely degrading about Japanese people. Like mm-hmm. I was like shocked, you know, I kind of like listened to her, you know, looked at her and was like, holy shit, can you say it? Like, are you allowed to say that? And, and, I, and I just kind of shrugged my shoulders like, what are you talking about? And she looked at me like I was an idiot. She's like, duh, Ron, World War II. And that was just like, that was her one sentence. And so like, I ran back to my office, was like <laughs> Googling, you know, this animosity thing. And, and then later I was in San Francisco. This was actually not that long ago. And I was um, getting an Uber with my family, um, you know, across town. And the driver was this uh, second generation Korean fellow and great guy telling, telling me all the woes of the, the, House of Prizing going out of whack in the Bay Area and all that stuff and how far he's got to drive in from some bedroom community to work. And I love talking to folks in Ubers and all those things. And then it happened again, like all of a sudden this like Japanese animosity like came back up and he was like rolling on it. And, and he wasn't much older than me. I mean, I'm 40, I'll be 42 soon, maybe mid forties. And, and I just kept thinking like, brother like we we're we're a little far from world war ii at this point like are you gonna you know thinking this in my mind so where am i going with this is you're japanese and korean mm-hmm. was that a thing between your grandparents <laughs> or your did your parents talk about that or did that ever come up at the kitchen table or you know that's things? a great question yeah people have asked i've asked my mom that you know mm-hmm. and um I think what what have they told me? Her parent, her parents, so my Korean grandparents, they were actually, I think, a little more open-minded than you would think with her marrying a Japanese boy, like a Japanese boy. It was my Japanese, my Japanese American grandparents who who had a little bit initially a little bit more. I think they just wanted him to like marry a Japanese girl kind of thing. Like they just wanted to at all um but i think we've asked that of her is precisely because of that because of the 
politics in East Asia and the the Japanese colonial army that just, I mean, demolished and just was brutalized like so many countries yeah. <laughs> in, in Asia and Southeast Asia. Um, and, you know, even when I know when Japanese Americans were put into the camps, like there was definitely, um, there were definitely like Korean, Korean, Korean immigrants, Chinese immigrants, Chinese Americans who were like, great, you know, put yeah. them in the camps. Like, yeah. like their, their, their parents have like, you know, just like brutalized my homeland or, you know, there's just, because yeah. that was so close still to the immigration. And so, and even my Korean American grandmother, um, yeah, I don't think there was a lot of, you know, she, it wasn't like there was a strong sense of Asian American solidarity for her growing up because mm-hmm. Asian America wasn't even a thing until the 1970s or, you know, even that term, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. new term. And um, so I think for her, it was like, kind of like, that was their, you know, that's their problem. And didn't they, they had fun in the camps, didn't they? I heard they had fun. That's what she would, you know, that, you know, it's like that kind of, you know, so because there's such psychological distance. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was just like, you know, I don't know about those Japanese. You know? yeah. So it wasn't like she was like, oh my gosh, like how, you know, there wasn't that. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the complexity, I think, of Asian America too, is so there's just like so many different countries that are trying to, you know, create solidarity and movement building like amongst us. And yet we all come from these completely different diasporas with these really intense uh, histories on the other side. And, you know, when yeah. we're talking about I there's a do you get into logic fallacies at all like keep keep an eye out for logic fallacies ever do you know um you I don't know <laughs> if you see one in us just let just raise your hand like just well, like yeah. you know give me a signal one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean we, we have bouquets of them <laughs> <laughs> awesome bouquets of, of fallacy that's poetic that's isn't it that's very uh, poetic the poet <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, one, one of the, one of the fallacies that, and I don't know my fallacies really well, but they're 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 coming into focus, and one of them that has is is reductionism. This idea of reductionism, right? And I feel like I don't I don't know what that means. Um, like if I were to generalize generalizing, oh, okay. if mm-hmm. I am I'm going to reduce all of Japanese people oh, down sure. to a statement or a few gotcha. words, okay. that would be egregious yeah. reductionism, yeah. right? Yeah, and I personally think that. It's, it's a place in our, as a, as the, our ideas about people and genders and places start to get more attached to the reality of how complex people, places, countries really are. Mm. It's almost impossible to talk about an entire people without like five caveats about how, you know, what <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say is going to be to some extent bullshit, yeah. and reductionism and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, not to say it's not a valuable uh, tool to be able to like talk about a country, but I really think that that there it's it's a portland is this way you know it's like right. portland's a million ways yeah. you could have a million lives very different from each other in one city um i just think it's a place that our language needs to be updated and is updating mm. um do you do you ever think about anything like that mm-hmm. yeah, i think um, so yeah in particular yeah a lot related to my own history of yeah the, the incarceration yeah. And the internment and but just like, yeah, nationalism in general and the nation, the formation of the nation state and, you know, all that stuff about like, what, yeah, what are the stories we tell each other as people to, to both belong? There's like the, yeah, the sense of like true belonging when you think about cultures and, mm-hmm. and nations and countries, but then 
but then there's that yeah just the the reductionism that can happen as well and the borders and the isolationism and the the racism I mean it's just such yeah. a thing because with so so many people just also want to want to belong and want to be a part of community and yeah how do you do that in a way that's like open and healthy and flexible and yeah any anytime I hear someone speaking racistly uh, or angrily or out of pain or or uh, frustration or whatever about an entire people it's like I imagine things like if you were forced to spend to live there you know you pretend this petition would potentially fall in love with one of these people that they're like saying that they hate I just feel like there's it always makes me sad to to hear people talk about big groups of people or large places and be like, I don't like it. I don't like them. It just doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah. yeah. Agreed. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm quiet because of, I mean, my, you know, full disclosure, my, my father's side of the family was quite racist mm-hmm. and, and they weren't, as far as I know, organized racist. They were just run of the mill West Texas racist. Yeah. But it was, but a lot of those kinds of statements, you know, um, about our Hispanic friends and black friends and all those mm-hmm. things that that my dad would dismiss. You know, I think one of you guys said, you know, said something alluding to that, that just this kind of like, oh, well, I, you know, my dad saying something like, well, I have black friends or some, you know, he'd make some kind of statement like that. And I'm like, no, you, no, you don't. There's no, <laughs> you know, who? Mm-hmm. Let's call them. Let's go hang out with them. Of course, I was eight or nine years old when those that kind of thing was happening. But even then, I knew he was lying, mm-hmm. and it was uncomfortable because. And then on the other hand, he, my dad, I don't know even why this like this dream or this like fantasy appeared in his his mind. But he he was convinced that my grandmother was the grandchild of a survivor of the Trail of Tears, and mm-hmm. and had all this evidence hearsay evidence based on it and and after he passed away my dad's been dead for for more than a decade I got a DNA test and uh, I was like okay let's see what we got in there and I you know got the results and it was like 125 percent white dude <laughs> like like there's not a drop of anything else in there other than western you know western Europeans and I and I I just shook my head I'm like I wonder what was he wonder what he was really what what did he want to belong to? I right. Mentioned that a little bit, like that thing that makes you feel like this is my identity, this is who I am, this is where I belong. And I'm curious for you, with your role as a poet or a writer, or I mean, what, what do you see yourself first as? Do you see yourself mm-hmm. as a thinker and a, as an intellectual? Do you see yourself as a writer, or a creative? Like, what's what do you think that is? And I'm sure it changes too. Yeah. Probably, yeah, I think poet, I guess, is the first thing that kind of comes to mind is like how I orient through the world is, yeah, is as a poet, meaning just, you know, just like very feeling oriented or like making, looking for connections or like thinking an image and metaphor, like that's Mm -hmm. kind of the first orientation. And then um, more so, I guess these days but when I was younger I think when I was doing all that school and thinking I was gonna maybe be more of a scholar of religion and philosophy or something that intellectual side I think was a little bit more heightened and I more identified that way um 
I don't know. Is that some, do you, do you both feel like you're sort of writers first or you're sort of. I think I'm only now getting comfortable with the idea of calling myself that. Mm. And, and I'm curious, when, when did you allow yourself to feel like a poet? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Were you published or were you making poems already, writing poems already? No, that's a good question. When did that really happen? Maybe when it was when I decided to go to graduate school for poetry and mm. um, and then kind of dove into that experience and I think immer- just immersed myself in it yeah. and then sort of never never left that realm in a way. Um, yeah, maybe that's. But I realize more and more it's yeah it's like this maybe like a lot of our identities like it's something if you don't practice it, it's like are you right. that thing or yeah, like, right. well that's right, what I was just right, thinking totally. you know people yeah. will call yeah. you people will call other people like uh, certain things. And that's, that's again, like not to harp, like beleaguer the point, but like, that would be a little reductionism. Like you're a yeah, writer. It's yeah. Like, we have a lot of roles that we are, but mm-hmm. I think a more accurate way for me to say is I'm not a painter. I paint, right. I occasionally mm-hmm. paint. I paint maybe more than most people, but mm-hmm. for me to like call myself a painter, for you to call yourself a writer, I, I feel like it's gotta be dude and I, I don't get hung up on this but yeah like, we actually talked live about in the this. lifestyle you know? like <laughs> yeah do you write every once in a while yeah. do you write a little bit a day does that make you a writer i think if you're going to call yourself a writer mm. it's like that's your main thing yeah. that's your main thing and then otherwise just just take off a, a little bit of those those labels and be like yeah i write i enjoy writing you know yeah mm-hmm. i would like to be a writer yeah you know i'm working that in i don't know something else mm-hmm. you know what i've noted uh I've noticed with my my uh, daughter, and we were talking about dyslexia before you came on. I I struggle with dyslexia a bit, and my daughter does too. And my it's mother dyslexia. <laughs> Don't fuck with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brynn is gonna see a, a beat down happen on the screen. <laughs> She's like, "What happened?" A little guy? stress <laughs> tear just came out. Yeah, I don't think you can see it. <laughs> my my blood pressure feels like boom. <laughs> Uh, and I noticed with her grappling with language and she, I, th- I think is, has that thing in her that creates story really easily. And it's really fun to listen to with her as she talks about story and, and is starting to get into creative writing. And, but what I've noticed is because she's dyslexic, she's in the fourth grade she's only now able to like form really complex long sentences and arguments and things like that and sometimes when she's stressed she'll say things in this like really simple chunky language Mm. I'll give you an example the other day she asked me um is it money to adopt someone that was the sentence and I and I looked at her and I and I and I wanted to make fun of her. I wanted to like tease her about it. And I, and I go, I, th- I think I know what you're saying, Emma, but why don't you think mm-hmm. about that sentence a little bit longer? And then of course she like delivered a perfectly, you know, articulated sentence. And, but I, I realized like, oh, her brain's, it's, it's overloaded for some reason. So this is the easiest way to get, get out the idea. And I, and I think part of the reductionist problem I just just learned this phrase, you know, a few minutes ago. 
from from an <laughs> asshole who doesn't know a lot. Well. Yeah, so like that would be reduced in you, the understanding. Is is it's is it's hard to think critically mm. when you're stressed, and it's hard to think. Mm. It's hard to have <laughs> formed thoughts around ideas that we don't know anything about, yeah. and mm. and when our histories are are, um, you know reduced when our histories are, are mm. one-sided when the kinds of information we get are are just drops of things then it's eat when you know people here I live in downtown Portland I get an immediate eye roll right and and if they live in Oregon it's generally followed by I'm sorry that you live in downtown Portland a great great example it's like there's yeah yeah and I and I the I think the tough thing is two things are required. One is bandwidth from our own brains to really begin to t- t- take it on. And then two, a good source of information to help fill yeah. in the gaps. Mm-hmm. And right now in this point of history, those are low, low co- uh, commodities. Well, pl- plus an, an understanding that that person who lives out in rural, rural or anywhere else, Oregon, when they say, they hear you live in downtown and they eye roll, what they're doing, as I see it, is there's an idea they have of what downtown Portland is, and then they're putting you in their idea of what yeah. that is, and they're like, I'm so sorry. But you're like, yeah. I don't live in your idea of downtown Portland. I live in, potentially, mm-hmm. maybe I do, but yeah. I know you don't. I live in one of the sundry and many millions of potential lives that can be wonderful there, or I live a terrible life down there, and, and you're right. But my point is, is yeah. like, just understanding that the world is and places are and people are potentially much different, more much more different than the ideas we have in our brain, especially if you haven't been there. And especially mm-hmm. if you're talking about a really big place or a lot of people where they could be so many expressions of life. Yeah. Yeah. I have a I have a, a question for you that might be uh, a little personal as well. So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna proceed with caution. Um one thing that I found to be really interesting working for the Chinese company and then some other um, folks I've spoken with is is there's a there seems to seems to be a a long slow plan uh, in in Chinese thinking at least where a person participating in the in the overall plan of the economy or or the business is just a small piece. And that there's a, you know, I've even heard the phrase a 500 year plan uh, from a Chinese national I heard speak at a conference. And, and you're an American, and Americans don't think very, you know, (laughs) very far into the future, like we're, we we think (laughs) in four year, two year cycles, right. And, um, Mm -hmm. but as a, as an academic, and as a writer, like, where do you want your writing and your poems to be? in the future of the thinkers who are coming after you and your students and your readers and all those kinds of things like where mm-hmm. I, I I'm asking because I I think about my writing and I have to be okay I'm not you know I'm I write I don't know if I would call myself a writer and I cross my fingers and think that maybe someday and it could be well I'm after I'm dead that somebody somewhere finds my writing and goes hey this is pretty good mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Where, where do you where does your thinking like line up and all that yeah I think I'm yeah I, I agree with that I think more and more I think when I was younger I was more writing both out of a sense of urgency like I just mm. had a lot of big feelings and I mm. need to express them and 
Um, and then a lot of ego of mine too around like, I want to get published or like, what's yeah, my first totally. book, you know? Yeah. And, um, but then I, yeah, I recently turned 40 last, I guess like half a year ago. Um, and I'm just sort of feeling a shift, you know, just with everything that comes with that, <laughs> like yeah. and, but feeling a shift into just, just a different, yeah, just middle life and this sort of like, okay, well, what, what is it that I write? What will last? And, mm. um, and I think being steeped in this work of thinking about history and then just, you know, the recent past years of the climate crisis and the climate breakdown. And I think there's a lot of thinking now around just like, what is it that I have? What can I say now that in yeah, 30, 50 years, will will feel like you know like it was actually a relevant interest you know like a relevant yeah, yeah. helpful thing to say and put out there and because mm. I you know I look back at like I don't even even my own family's history or you look back at I don't know you study these big moments like 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 Germany during the Holocaust or something and you think like what were all those regular citizens or you know just we look back at those histories now and we think like how could they not have all just risen up or why weren't they all writing sure. about the rise of Hitler? You know? Yeah. Um, but there's just such a, like Hannah Arendt says, the banal, the banality of evil, like the everyday. And we're like living inside that, you know, we're living through this, this unprecedented sort of political polarization and the climate crisis and the reckoning with these histories of um, racism and slavery and genocide and, and yet, yeah, there's still just this, the mundaneness, you know, still I'm worried about like, where am I going to buy, you know, where's my almond milk or I don't know, just think, <laughs> you know, but, but I'm trying to, I think part yeah. of me is trying to just like, okay, what are like the big questions like of this moment that in 50 years, like a grandchild or something is going to look at, you know, something I wrote and be like, okay, she was awake, you know, to those yeah. questions, um, and she was trying to think about the future and just trying to think about how, I mean, how are we even going to live into the future with everything changing so quickly? And it, yeah, just, I, I just started reading the parable of the sower by um, Octavia Butler. Um, and I know a lot of folks are saying that, you know, that that novel was written decades ago and yet the first like few pages, she starts out of like, writing from the year 2024 oh wow yeah and yeah and just like there's this sense of just like and you know I haven't read it yet so I I don't know but you know all the commentary around it is like she predicted you know she predicted so much of what's happening now and through speculative fiction through sci-fi writing um so yeah can I be brave enough to think into these Mm. futures that we're all kind of living into and creating and I don't know. Yeah. How do you, I mean, yeah. Like, what I, do you think about that? Mm. I appreciate you saying creating. That's a word that I, mm. um, when it comes to what you're saying, like we are creative. I think that I suspect we all play more of a creative role um, and more of a powerful role in our experience of, of life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that empowering people through saying reframing words or uh, phrases a little bit like the future mm-hmm. that we're creating, you yeah. know, maybe not even we, but the future that you're creating and that you're creating that I'm creating, because those might be a little more separate and individual mm-hmm. than 
then we all exist in a shared world that you have your say in and I have like maybe you know what I mean I just yeah. think that there's a little bit of fucky weirdness going on with um our psyche and uh consciousness and the world and the universe mm. um, and I think I suspect I don't know that that each of us has a little bit of a wizard and we got a pretty powerful wand you know and um maybe we're wielding it let maybe we're letting other people's other voices wield it for us and taking that thing back and being like this is mine and let me make mm. some decisions about, mm-hmm. about what's going to happen mm. i don't know and that that triggers some people when i when i start to speak like that but um i haven't found any um argument or evidence against it that has been like made me think no you're right we're kind of all getting swept into a world that we don't really have a lot of control over it's like, i don't think so Hmm. Hmm. I'd like to believe that as well, that we, we are co co-creating this reality yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we have the, we have the power to envision otherwise. And I, I want to, yeah, hope so in a way, you know, well, there's this spiritual, uh, there's this, uh, you know, Joseph Campbell talked about in that like power of myth way back in the eighties or nineties when he did that. And he talked about the um, native American, uh, I forgot which tribe exactly. And I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but the idea that um, we are each uh, a center of the universe. um, And it is a place that has the center is everywhere and the circumference is nowhere. And Mm -hmm. I like thought about that for a long time. And um, I suspect that's what people are. I think that, Mm -hmm. I think there's a paradox where you are uh, creating a universe within you and that you are the center of that that's okay but I also am and everybody else is and it's a it's a paradox it's an opposite our brain can't quite, quite um, wrap itself around it but it was seemingly a lot of spiritual texts especially in the Taoism and some Native American mm-hmm. stuff they tend to speak toward that a little bit I'm like there's something there mm-hmm. what do you think of that are you do you mm-hmm. think that that the that ability to hold the paradox of if it's all being the center is is worth entertaining for a moment <laughs> please <Yeah>. say yes <laughs> sure, I don't know. You validate this guy he really needs it <laughs> he desperately needs it <laughs> i am confident enough for her to disagree with me and be okay but thank you Ron. not for long the camera's gonna go off you're gonna wail like a child yeah. to hold him again <laughs> i have no clue i feel like um that's kind of a new concept to me. I'm really, I'm, I'm really fascinated. I want to turn it around in my mind for a while and think about it. Um, it's not my concept. It's just something, right. you know what I mean? It's, yeah. But I have made, start to made it, make it my own. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Oh no, but I'm, I'm actually curious. I've been thinking a lot about like spirituality, you know, yeah. Kind of, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I think my ideas are kind of changing and I'm not sure what I believe or think anymore but I would love to hear more about both of your kind of like how you think about spirituality especially in this in this context and yeah. I, I think the word spirituality can just get chucked in the world right that's uh, not- totally yeah yeah it's like yeah. consciousness yeah truth like I don't know something yeah. it's just that's too yeah. big well I'm glad we talked about <laughs> paradox first because because um I think to have to have a sense that there is more beyond what we can see or measure or feel is by nature a paradox, right? Like, because you, mm. um, it's the intangible, that. right? And, and we can accept certain things that you can't quite measure, like, like love and friendship, right? You're a newlywed, roughly, about a year in. And we can feel those, like, as a weight in our body. Mm-hmm. We can feel it fill us up 
we, you know, there's lots of words to use around that. And, and then we do that, I think, also with the mystery. We can, some people can, some people can't. I know people who want to, they mm -hmm. want to have some kind of exchange with the mystery. They want to have something, they want to believe in something bigger than themselves. And, and they've tried and they don't have that ability. And I don't know why some people can and some people can't. And I have to be okay with that. And, mm -hmm. and I have to also, um, I heard uh, a guy named Bishop Robert Barron, who's kind of this intellectual out of uh, LA, uh, he's a Catholic Bishop. And I, I would call him kind of the uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Jones in the, of, of Indiana Jones, but the, the professor side, not the, you know, not the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whip yielding archaeologist side. And he's super intellectual. And he, he, I've heard him speak where he says, um, in the minds of the Catholics, at least this brand of Catholics, that someone uh, like you, who has dedicated their life to um, exploring beauty and pain and, and all of the other things through poetry, your measure of, of your, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, it'll come back to me in just a moment. Your dedication, your reverence is actually your spiritual value. Hmm. And, and that that would buy you into heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm of course, you know, being very simplistic with my language here. And, and, and likewise, so would a, a scientist who's given their life to mm. finding medicines that save lives or something like that. And that there's not, and that there isn't a necessary, a, a necessity for a religious experience for those folks. Mm. And, and I'm glad to hear that coming from someone like him. And, and I'm also glad to hear that because it, because I do know people who have wanted to have some kind of spiritual experience or religious experience or experience the divine or the mystery mm -hmm. and can't like they can't, mm. you know, pull it out in within them. And, and I, and yet that's a part of my life that I have tried to leave behind many times. Right. And I try to, I've tried to cut it off uh, formally and informally. I have um, left churches. I've written letters to families, you know, family members, and saying I'm out. and And then we'll find myself in a situation where I can feel something physically in my body, and feel this kind of like sense that I'm close to something that is good, and that mm. wants good for me. And um, and I. Every time I try to kind of really push that away, I get a, I get this this pursuit back, and I don't know why. You know, I don't think I'm special. It just happens, and I and mm -hmm. and hey, I'm totally okay. By the way, with that being a total chemical reaction mm -hmm. of of fear and endorphins and all of those other things happening in me, and well, it works for me. I think what's going on. I wonder if what's going on there is that you know I was talking with another friend about this is there's a lot of religions, right? And people grow up with different religions. And the word religion, as I understand it, religios means to relink, mm. to relink. Mm. So religions, as I understand it, are software to get you mm. to speak, to have an experience. They yeah. connect you, 
and the truth is, is you were downloaded with software, with Christian software. Yeah. Oh, yeah. in your very very formative years and that's the language that your psyche works in yeah and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it it doesn't mean means mean it needs to be rejected it's it's functional that's the language your brain works when you die you'll probably see jesus you know mm, i would think mm, and i don't mm. really know what i'm talking about here but this is what i've come <laughs> up with mm-hmm. in, in life like my brain i think what you're saying is like my brain will then go i need this scene to in order to complete the loop of my whole software it just seems like that that you really took the bait you know and you took the hook and that's it's in you deeply and like to reject the software that is embedded it would be to be the cyborg who's trying to get rid of the thing that's allowing Mm. them to live you Mm. know Mm. and i don't Mm. think that you need to do that unless you really really wanted to which Mm. i don't get that you do yeah it's just living that religion living any religion authentically and attuned to the the real spiritual idea uh experience truth of of the universe is definitely yeah you know vital because religions obviously can be terribly abused you know and and um so i i really believe that i, th- I don't like when people say christianity is dot 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 buddhism is dot, sure. dot, dot. they're all just like they're all functional keys you know you gotta stick the right key in the right door for it to open but it doesn't mean mm. the key doesn't work mm. 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 interesting have you had any supernatural or spiritual experiences and specifically mm-hmm. if your person well, who took religious what do yeah. you think about what i just said Let me stick <laughs> uh, well i was hoping to get you your yeah, master yeah. of moving on i say something and be like, oh what's bring gotta say and he's like next page okay. adhd adhd bro i've <laughs> oh, got 10 milligrams of riddle that's a good <laughs> And caffeine your question is a good one i'm just curious <laughs> you guys are good you guys are a good conversational uh, team i like it um yeah i i like that software metaphor mm. that it's i hadn't heard that before and thinking about like what was downloaded into us like it, i mean yeah those formative years and how that orients us and how yeah. we can't quite get outside of some of that that makes a lot of sense and um I was wondering for you, Daniel, like what was, what, did you have anything downloaded into Like, mm. was there a certain? Good question. I, I feel like just in being in Western society and in America, generally it was, it was be Christianity. Right. You know? I, I'm not Christian. My parents were not Christian, mm. but it's a Christian society in yeah, general. Totally. And so the short mm. answer is no, I wasn't. Um, which leaves a person kind of uh, in an interesting place because now you have to discover what you were downloaded in and maybe the language of that of that is not um all wrapped up in a book um that is a religion now i have to be mm-hmm. like well how was i raised and who was the like dominant god type of figure in in my inner world at that time and i i like that um and then maybe later in life you're like you try to apply the christianity later which i i did at one point in time you mm. try to apply the buddhism but it doesn't it only matches in ways with the actual structure of your one to seven years old self mm. you know mm-hmm. so i think when you're not offered a religion it opens some doors it allows you to see mm-hmm. that everything maybe is a little bit more functional instead of mine's right and yours wrong at the same time i don't have like joseph campbell says he's like he probably won't have the spiritual experience that someone who has been raised catholic would have he and i, I appreciated what mm-hmm. he said that it sounds like i'm a massive joseph campbell guy i 
I've probably brought him up like three times in the 40 episodes <laughs> we've done, but twice has been today. But you know what I mean? I think it's beautiful mm-hmm. when a person has a, a religion that was put in them and then they can work it out and not have it be the negative version or expression of that religion. Um, Which but is very difficult one. to do. I mean, yeah. that's the deconstruction, yeah, but really deconstruction hard. really can be reconstruction, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, the other thing I was thinking of as you're talking about that and, and as we've talked about stories and 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 um myths around our history and nationalism and all those things is is i have a theology background is you know the word christian was actually kind of the equivalent of of trumper that we would say now mm-hmm. like it, we, it's a derogatory term for what was seen as the mindless followers and and yeah and when you first said that as like a christian country i was like trying to wrestle with that because i thought what we, you know, like the Pledge of Allegiance, right? Uh, One nation under God, that wasn't even added until the 50s, part of the whole like anti-communism thing. Mm -hmm. So there's this like thinly veiled, I'm using air quotes, Christian country that that has very little to do with, let's say, Matthew chapter seven Mm -hmm. or five, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is a very difficult code of ethics that has nothing to do with violence. It has everything to do with being humble and helping the humbled. And, and that is not the Christian, it's not the American ethos, mm-hmm. but yet you from, from just your growing up, get this message that actually we are this, and yet it's so far from that thing. And yet, and yet, and yet I think that word Christian actually now fits back in that kind of derogatory, like you know, mindless yeah. follower uh, <laughs> kind of deal. Like, it's you know, like, huh. and I, I want to be careful too, because yeah. I can hear like some of Christian, my like f- just people out there being like a lot of what I'm saying is like very blasphemous in their experience and expression and reality mm. of Christianity. Mm. And I find that a difficult line to walk because I do want to be respectful of someone's um, expression of Christianity, even if I don't agree with it, but mm. it's very hard for me to speak and, and speak what I believe to be true or what I'm arriving to or what I'm curious about and not disrespect other people. I find that challenging, you know, yeah, it makes me a little bit nervous. I, I, <laughs> I guess I've been around it so much. I don't give a shit about in, like pissing Christians off anymore. Or, I mean, I mean, that's the one religion that I feel like I can like amply talk shit about because it's, it's the software I grew up in. And, well, maybe and I don't, but I don't know any other, I would never be able to have any kind of critical thought around any other religion because I've not studied it, uh, you know, at length the way I did. Do you consider yourself Buddhist and Christian as you, as you were? That's a great question. Yeah, not, I don't think anymore, maybe, but, um, mm. but yeah, those were, those were sort of the, I guess the religious cultures in a way that I grew mm. up with. It wasn't um, kind of like you were saying earlier, like not sort of the, it wasn't sort of the the true sort of um, belief system and ideology of both, but I, they were just kind of cultures that informed. They were around, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were around. And, but I was lucky, you know, with my experience of Christianity, I grew up in a very progressive Japanese American Christian church here mm-hmm. in the Central Valley. And the pastor is somebody who's still a mentor to me and, mm-hmm. you know, Methodist minister, Japanese American. And, um, but also just like, you know, very progressive, very also open into just like all the kind of spirituality and meditation and yeah. astrology and tarot. I mean, just, he was bringing in like all this other wild stuff that, you know, I was young, so I didn't really know what was going on, but so I had, so I had both 
you know, we were doing Bible study and then we were learning about like things like the Enneagram and psychology. Yeah. And then yeah. my dad's family was Buddhist. We were going to the Buddhist church and the Buddhist temple and mm. do the incense and the offering. And, um, and it was, you know, come to think of it, it just, I was lucky. It just, it was all kind of a healthy experience of just yeah. this yeah. love of like, wasn't like, Oh, your dad is this and your mom is this. Yeah. And, and I think that's maybe what led me to, to want to study religion and to want to just like dive mm. deeper because it was it was always just a really positive kind of I'm like realizing this now like I'm like yeah it was actually kind of a positive experience yeah. being a part of those religious um cultures but I think now I think I love your um your language Ron of like engaging the mystery or sort of like mm. where do I go to kind of engage that mystery and um a lot of it comes now I think from nature or just mm-hmm. you know like go, you know meditating in the woods and doing these different just kind of um connecting with like the land and nature and pl- the place around me um and writing poetry I think that those practices sort of like help me touch into just like maybe that true whatever you know whatever okay. that, that kind of connective experience is but do you um uh, one thing I like to do is peel labels off of things just in my mind. And so you're talking about engaging with the mystery and yeah. I find it kind of challenging because we are, there's such strong labels for everything. It's like, that's the opposite of mystery. You know, a tree, a tree is now a four letter word and an idea about what uh, uh, leaves and roots and which are other just, you know, words. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes like, I'll like look at something and just like take that label off in my head and be like, mm-hmm. what the fuck's a tree you know mm. like what is this <laughs> and you just look at it and you're like oh it's like kind of earth and water that's pushed up and formed by wind and it's like it's like a it's a mm. weird thing and root if roots if there's no up and down then roots are actually just as much the tree as yeah. the, the tree and now so now it's a thing yeah, that is yeah. in two elements you know what i mean yeah. it's just like mm-hmm. kind of like peeling these things off mm. and being like and i can i can slowly get attached to the mystery or i can mm. get that amazing feeling you have of mm. wonder right mm. but how do you engage with the mystery when you're out in nature like mm. does it just come naturally where you get these feelings or how does it mm. work um I guess one experience I thought of was there's a place called the Tassajara Zen Center when I was living in the Bay Area I was kind of I was studying Zen I got really into Zen and mm. um there's a just a beautiful retreat center in the Carmel Valley um and it's run by Zen monks and there's a like a hot hot springs and um, a, te- a zendo and the first time I went there I went for about a week and you know was meditating every morning with the monks and eating like really good food and going to the hot springs and Ooh. I think I, my system was like relaxed and yeah, wow. um, yeah and I just realized like how much of it was somatic like a, that necessary somatic you know relaxation yeah. and feeling yeah. safe gosh like, seriously yeah you just feel so nourished like and it doesn't you know it's just like okay like good water good food and some nice like it's simple in a way and yet it's I think living in sort of like late capitalist industrialist society it's that's so hard to find those spaces oh my gosh if you if you did impossible if you did a time lapse of a city's life of the creation of a city and a human life living in that city, it would, it's like a fucking miracle that we even are alive. How we, I know. <laughs> cars are ripping yeah. around the city and right. buildings are just like crashing around. It's just like, yeah. 
fuck we're in the middle of a big metal plastic salad being tossed you know? it's like <laughs> but chill out and have a calm nervous system and like get right like, fuck that. Yeah. yeah i mean that's <laughs> yeah so much of it is like somatic and i just read this book um the body keeps score which That's is a about book. Number yeah one bestseller pals right now and oh great right? yeah, like yeah, trauma yeah. the body i mean all of it it's like oh my gosh if, if we can actually find spaces to kind of calm our body and breathe and yep. that author is a huge proponent of yoga he says one of the best ways yes to, yeah you, yeah yeah i mean but yeah so much of that goes is just antithetical right to the structures we've created to live in and be in and the marketplace and capital and just like all yeah and yeah. the of everyday life like to just slow down for a week and so yeah I think just doing that um just helped me you just tap in so quickly when the conditions are are such that you know you can relax like that and and I just remember it was the first time I really felt like what all the Buddhists had been talking about you just kind of you know you just feel like you you are truly connected to everything you know the tree is me you know that whole thing and the stone is me and and I hadn't you know, it's like, I believe that in my mind, but to actually feel it in the body was like mm. pretty profound without being on any kind of like enhancing mm. drug or, you know, just yeah. anything that yeah. was do you, just mean. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a lot of like tension in your body and in mm. your mind? I think so. Yeah. Really? I mean, do you both feel, I mean, I don't know. I feel that. <laughs> I do. I, 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 uh, I took, um, a, a class that I've mentioned on, on here before, um, uh, apnea survival class it's a breath class they oh, teach wow. for, um, really? apnea survival? Sleep yeah no no it's not uh, yeah they teach oh, it's okay. a class they teach to um free divers and big wave surfers oh, in cool. order to to calm down when your heart rate is jacked and your body is going through the roof and you cannot breathe yeah and, and wow. since i've taken that class one of the things they talked about was the nerves that we have over our nose and uh, on our cheekbones that um, is really sensitive to water and to air. And our heart rates can begin to like lower as soon as it gets wet because our body starts to go into a situation where it knows it's gonna need to like reserve, conserve oxygen. Mm -hmm. And, but what I've thought about since then is many times throughout the day, I I measure how much tension I have in my face and my head. Mm. And, and I try to, even during this conversation, I've tried to do it. I try to relax the muscles in my face and relax the muscles in my forehead and Mm. and elsewhere, because I, I do, whether it's a a kind of a a pensive, you know, muscle collection or whatever it is, I'm not sure but it helps. It really mm-hmm. helps. You said the word somatic a few times, you know, the, the soma, the body um, is this, it is the key to back to that yeah. access to that connect feeling of connection or that yeah. access to um, perhaps the divine or the mystery or whatever it is, even if it all it is, is, is our bodies finally um, calming down. We were talking yeah. to a, a massage therapist in Port Townsend, and she was talking about the the importance of touch, and she was describing to us how she knows when someone's sympathetic nervous system finally starts to work when she's working on them because she can hear their digestive system working and she can That's feel their awesome. breath, yeah. and and how rare it is for most of us to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
maybe when we sleep, maybe when we take an ambient, I don't, you know, something like that. I mean, I, I can't talk shit about that because I'm on a salute <laughs> pharmaceuticals in either direction. Well, and I, I, plus like when, when tension in our body is subconscious, like we can't control it. It's yeah, not, it's, yeah. you know, and so well I said that body keeps the score, you know, it's like, you've you read know, that book, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, any book I need to read again, like yeah. it's just, yeah. the book is, I, I have this fantasy of being stranded on a desert island someday <laughs> with just like one person <laughs> and a book, like, you know, and just so I can just deep dive as much as my yeah. mind would really like mm. to. Anyways, yeah. I hope it's a really good book. Yeah. Um, and I hope it's not you on that. Have you read that book? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that if if a lot of what our uh, we are clearly there's this book um, that one time I read a quote that said the body is the subconscious, mm. and I was like, mm. that felt true, mm-hmm. you know, because I just believe that all the subconscious, at least to some extent, is reflected in the body and it's expressed in the body. And then there's an interface and it's called the pre-conscious as I understand it, where you have access to the subconscious. It, the, a little bit of your conscious mind can go into the subconscious in this little middle middle mm. place. Like if you're looking at an iceberg, it's, mm. the, it's the three or four feet of water of iceberg you can see right underneath the, the um, hmm. surface. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that slowly slowly interfacing and and Mm. and and making choices in that pre-conscious with your with your body what you're doing subconsciously your face tightens you notice it you choose to relax Mm. and then that just goes over and over and over all day long and slowly i think you are relaxing by doing that yeah it's just constant repetition right yeah and then the, the uh amount of potential we have to release tension i think is incredible mm. in our body yeah depending on how much tension we carry yeah. and, and, yeah. and then there's a million ways to do it but i've i've found that one of the most satisfying things in life is to have subconscious tension become conscious and then choose to relax it yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i i the last i'd say the last we've gone through cycles my wife and i around this stuff we you know intuitively and also through many books you know we've we've come to the similar conclusions and and our pace we work for ourselves we're very fortunate to get to do that and it really in order for us to do it well it requires a crazy amount of what we're describing where we have to give ourselves tons of room mm. to let our nervous system settle down we have to allow mm. ourselves to um not react out of fear or out of obligation yeah. and and we're lucky that we get to do that and mm-hmm. i know that like if if you know you've mentioned the end of capitalism and industrialism yeah. and all of that stuff and it, it is not does not give us that room to do so and and mm-hmm. we have found that the only way to keep our sanity is to have these i want to use the word leisurely but it's it's more intentional than it is trying to be anything close to lazy right like i think of leisure being lazy like you're just gonna like uh, i'm not gonna do anything leisure is actually connected to the word college and it has a whole is it yeah it's a whole like leisure has been warped into something that is like something where like you're not supposed to do that but it actually is as i understand it's like a more of a connected to that uh, rich 
ground and fertile soil to learn and to grow. Oh, interesting. We're going to take it back. We're going to take that word back. Anyways. Yeah, no. I mean, the, it's it's now part of my religion. I mean, I don't have, I don't practice a religion, but I, but I have practices that I have to use. And if I don't use them, I, I feel quite discombobulated. You know, I, I, it's difficult to have focus and, and I'm, you know, dealing with, you know, I've mentioned, you know, jokingly mentioned ADHD and, and dyslexia, like those are, those are real challenges for me. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, I, I'll give you a, you know, example this morning, I woke up at 4.30, not because an alarm got off, because I was just thinking about what I owe myself with my, with my life. And I got up and I wrote, you know, a thousand words and I had some coffee and I took my dog for a walk and got my kids to school. And then, and then I thought, okay, now I need 15 minutes of like downtime where my brain is not doing anything. And I'm a big proponent of hot, you know, heat and so I I used to go to a gym that had a, a sauna where I would just run across the street and go to the sauna and, and I don't do that anymore because it, it for various reasons so it's a hot bath and gangly you know white dude <laughs> sitting in the, the, the bath <laughs> with my like meditation music on <laughs> Probably. so how do you how did yeah. you when you did that when you felt your mind relax and your yeah. body relax you have this nice somatic relaxation how did you ever brought anything back into your own mm. life to mm. what was the boons yeah. as joseph campbell calls them that you brought back to your your people Mm, I don't know. I love hearing about some of your practices. Um, yeah, I think I'm trying to figure out what my practices are to mm. do that these days. Cause I'm realizing like, you know, with COVID and pandemic and just like the, and you know, we moved recently and mm. life changes and, um, I'm finally in the new house. We've been here about six months and I think with, you know, winter and solstice time, like I'm really hungry for that, like to really think about what are those practices mm. for me. And um, I started just trying to take five like deep breaths every day. Like that's kind of like, I listened to a podcast with the writer of Atomic Habits, James mm. Clear. And mm. he was just, you know, talking about the the importance of like what you were saying, just repetition, even if it's tiny, just like yeah. five minutes and, so what can I do every five minutes and how can I get back into a writing practice? And yeah. um, so I don't know, I'm kind of like wondering, um, I don't know, Daniel, do you have like things, saunas or hot baths or every breathe? day? I call it the executive. <laughs> I go to the gym every day and then, mm. uh, but I uh, sometimes often I just do the executive, which is a sauna and a spa <laughs> and then I'm out <laughs> like, that was, but it's so good for my body it calms yeah. my nervous system down yeah. my joints and and it's just it's a restart water I'm a water fit you know I'm a, I'm a fish just being in water yeah. is huge but to be honest uh Bryn I I hugely under uh, give to myself mm-hmm. in the ways that it, that wouldn't cost anybody anything you know, mm-hmm. and because I know better, you know, I've, I've mm. been curious about and gathered and now actually have discernment to where I don't suffer from that thing where there's so many tools these days, everywhere, there's yeah. so many, so much shit flying at you, new ways to phrase the same thing. And I feel very powerful when it comes to like discerning, you know, what? that's not for me. I recognize this, this thing is saying this over here. I like this one better. I don't need to do the 50 types of meditation. Like I know what's for mm-hmm. me, but if I were to give myself a score on how, you know, how I'm doing 
there's so much room for improvement. It's like C, yeah. C minus, you know, like right. I really, but it's not a D. Last year was a D, you know? <laughs> So yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, no fuck you, man. No, Don't no, do no, it. No, no, no. I'm doing it. I'm <laughs> get a I'm look. I know you got that look. Well, well, look, because I think I think we have to advocate for one another when we see each other. Um, you don't know what, how the sausage is made, man. You don't like follow me around all day. I, I, I well, skip you out said it too much. You, this man. is what you said earlier: is when you would you talked about the moment the subconscious comes to comes into consciousness, yeah. and then you're able to relieve that pressure. And I know you well enough to know that like we, and I do too, a lot of that like avoidance and fear and, and um, all the other tools, you know, all the other words that might, might precede the inaction towards the things that we really want in our life are connected to all kinds of unconscious shit in our That's life true. that we That's are true. trying our damnedest to bring to the surface. And sometimes mm -hmm. they come out um, uh, violently and and uh, with great difficulty and a lot of suffering and other times through the executive or through breath or through the hot bath I took this morning or yeah. or whatever it might be they kind of leach out to the surface right like it's just the the, the water table finally comes to the surface and we can see what's there yeah. and and I think you you know I think because of that you're you know anyone who's trying is is no matter what level like what progress they've made that's in my mind a plus work well and i also completely judge myself the same way man like oh, yeah, I, right you know like i'm like fuck you ronnie get your shit together well, hey, <laughs> as long as it's as long as it's getting a little better as each month you know yeah that i'm good and, and just to answer your your question more directly there are a few things that i do that are, have improved my well-being calmed my nervous system and my mental health is better one of them is is engaging with my body and choosing to relax over and over and over. And for me, it comes in my shoulders and with my breath. Breathing for me, deep breathing, calm, somatic, let's get off a of sympathetic and under the parasympathetic. It doesn't have to do with breathing in. It has for me with breathing out, mm -hmm. you know? And then I was at my pulmonologist recently because um, I have had some lung issues. And if you purse your lips a little bit for me, mm -hmm it uh, provides just a little bit of change in pressure where you can get a little bit more out mm -hmm. in, in, in a little more healthy mm -hmm. way. So I mm -hmm. always pick up little tricks like that to help me relax through my breath and stuff. But honestly, Brent, the most satisfying thing for me is imagination. It's peeling labels off, getting the labels that, I've, mm -hmm. that have been chucked on, uh, on my brain. And it, it, today's Tuesday. It's like, well, that doesn't, that's not interesting. How about today is, you know, Saturday. Mm -hmm. How about today is a mysterious day. There's no name for like, I just play games all day long, you know, mm -hmm. so I can have a more rich, vibrant, unique feeling experience of this world and how wonderful it really is. You mm -hmm. know, one of the things that I do is imagine that you, me and Ron are the only people in the entire universe. This is it. This is it right now. And this is the last day of our lives. Ooh, you know, I just you say that and I get a little thrill, you know, not in a uh, sympathetic, not good way. I get a like grounded thrill of how amazing the uh, live wire of, of life, mm. you know, I need to be in contact with that live wire. Mm. I'm insatiable when it comes to that. Mm. Um, and so that's why I get myself a hard time because what do I get an hour in a day where I do that? You know, when there's right. 16. Yeah. You know? So does that make sense? Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it feels like like just radical presence. Like it's really uh, gorgeous, and um, it makes me think a little bit about like um, I mean, back to kind of the beginning of our conversation, like the like the 
like the trauma we inherit too, besides just the daily trauma of kind of living in this capitalist. Um, But I remember um, hearing a Sansei, so like my father's generation born after the camps, um, an interviewer asked this writer, this woman, like, what do you think you've inherited, you know, from your Mm -hmm. parents who were incarcerated in the camps? And she was like, I just have such a hard time relaxing. Like, I just can't Mm. relax. And So it all was the body, like it was just like yeah. I'm just tense all the time. You know, I didn't even yeah. live through the camps. I just, I just, yeah. I, you know, I'm a daughter of survivors, and um, and so I think about that a lot. Like these practices yeah. of breathing yeah. and hot baths, and just and these luck, these wonderful luxuries that they didn't have access to. That I, yeah. I get to do these things, and yeah. and is it like healing, like a family line thing? You know, is it healing something that's more than just kind of what we do for ourselves but there's this kind of ancestral work maybe happening you know through us and um i don't i don't know but i like to imagine that well i like to imagine that too i i have to imagine that there's this thing called an individuation in Jungian psychology which is helping your inner world and your outer world become more one Mm -hmm. like there's less of a separation between essentially your real emotions your inner world emotions feelings beliefs right Mm. um and uh thoughts and then your outer world and so when you're the person you were just talking about where they can't Mm. relax the way that i kind of like look at that is that they have a part of their psyche that's still in that camp Mm. you know stressed Mm. you know it's a deep part potentially i don't really know but totally yeah and it's like it's there and so recognizing that it for me making the inner world into a world, into a landscape, and then putting situations and people in places that pulling them from the past that I haven't let go of that are still echoing it within mm-hmm. and being like, oh, that's why I'm tense in my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Or that's why I get embarrassed when I dance this way, or mm-hmm. that's why blah, 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 you know? And then mm-hmm. making a story out of it. When you talked about the software that I have, I'm like retroactively recognizing and creating the software and putting names and faces to the software within mm-hmm. from my first seven years or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's very helpful, you know, to mm-hmm. make a landscape out of our inner world and then be like, when does that landscape get echoed in and represented in the outer world mm. and how do i feel you know mm-hmm. does that make sense it makes it makes a lot of sense i i um the work i'm i'm writing right now is is fiction but it's the it's through the lens of my family story and the yeah. and their experience yeah. of not feeling valued Mm. and um and and moments of being told overtly and subtly you ever you are of no value and and seeing and or even i should say feeling the that sensation in my body mm. it, it actually hit me I'm, i mean it's interesting we're talking about it now because as as i was finishing up my my collection of words this morning i was like oh that's where that comes from or that's where that m- might come from i should say you know like that that would make sense because this happened to my father or this happened to my mother. I have a, a little bit of understanding what happened to their parents and it is an ancestral line of trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and my body is, you know, I learned that tension in the womb and non-verbally from my family before I could, you know, pre-verbal, right? Like you learn that there's the tension that needs to belong. And and then it continues. And then I'm even watching my mother who's in her seventies 
wrestle with that still. Hmm. And, wow. and look at my father-in-law who's in his mid seventies, purchase things out of fear, right? Like he's mm-hmm. collects things because, oh, I might need that later. And yeah, that's a good example right. of something that could rep- be represented in. Yeah. Right yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure, I mean, my son, my son and I, uh, we, we celebrated my wife's birthday last night and my son and I uh, got into a fight right mm-hmm. before we went out to dinner. And, and I realized like in the middle of the fight where I've gotten really good at diffusing these fights with him. Oh, we both want the same thing, which is we want mom to have a good birthday. And we're, we want it so bad that we're willing to like grip the handle and, 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 you know, and like not let go of the handle. And I, and it, when it dawned on me, like, oh, he wants his mom to have a great birthday. And I want her to have a great birthday and us fighting is not helping that birthday. (laughs) You know, I just kind of let relinquish my whatever control I thought I needed to have on the situation and just let him do whatever he needed to do. And, and go ahead. No, I was up to that. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that thing that we hold on to this, this, there's a, there's a lot of words for it, and I'm trying to not use any of those words, but it's this, it is this ancestral feeling or this passed on generational sense that we are, we, we are wounded, we have been hurt, um, we're of no value, and if we're lucky, if we're really lucky, and then we work really hard on it, we can start to grain by grain sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes I call it trench warfare, inch by inch, we can make ground and some days we make a bit of ground and other days it feels like we've never even begun and mm. wonder if we will ever be able to mm-hmm. uh, go ahead you, you had a question because i don't want to mm-hmm. i don't want to start lecturing oh <laughs> well what do you think i mean yeah yeah no that's yeah just a long it's like life lifetime work some of that stuff um that's exciting to hear you're writing about it and he, he's doing the real deal like i think that you are uh, what you're doing is individuation the way you're writing mm. the way that you're the attention intention the emotional experience that you're having while you research the excitement with which you bring to me or when you have found another piece mm. of research that mm. fits the puzzle piece like i think even though it's a fictional piece that might be seemingly disparate or uh, you know separate from yeah. um you know some sort of like um, uh, your inner world i think what you're doing because it's your first one too i think your ron's inner world there's a lot of like cones and cranes and like <laughs> you, there's some yeah. construction going yeah, on there yeah definitely know? through this book for sure it's really cool to watch for sure thanks man appreciate that yeah. but i wanted to ask yeah. this is what i was yeah, going to yeah, ask yeah please do is do and I know we gotta kind of get going here. Yeah. Um, do you have if you were to look at all of your body of work, would you say that there are themes, uh, metaphors that if we were to create an inner world of Bryn, that would be down there, that would <laughs> that would ex- show something or reflect something of maybe a, a manifest version of your inner world? Gosh, some things that consistently appear are the stones appear a lot in my writing um I think inspired originally by when I went to Manzanar the camp and um saw all the stones in the desert landscape and started writing um persona poems from the point of view of those stones and um and that was my beginning of my creative engagement with stones and then I realized growing up we always had the stone garden my dad 
always had this always and still has this beautiful like Japanese garden in our yeah. backyard and stones and Japanese gardening and Zen are so mm-hmm. core and and I think my elders I began to almost see them as stones in this in this beautiful way like mm-hmm. the way they endured and the way how yeah. strong they were you know enduring what they endured and um but also how silent you know <laughs> they were like just like there Ooh. was you know like how do you and how how there was just such a lack of emotion and tears like the stone never cries you know there was just there's just the endurance there's just what is Japanese is called the gaman like enduring with dignity gaman (laughs) so the stone tends to like uh, like against my will appear in my yeah keeps coming up and and then the other yeah. And then the other trope is the garden, I think, because my dad mm. and growing up with this beautiful Japanese garden in our backyard. And um, I, it's even in the really recent work, it's just like keeps coming back that garden. And, yeah. and I wonder, I mean, there was, I wonder if like for my dad, who's very stone-like, who, you know, he doesn't write poetry, he doesn't write literature, he doesn't make art, but like the garden maybe was his expression yeah. is, you know, it's Absolutely. his arts and, and him growing and doing, making all that life happen, you know, sort of in the wake of this tragedy or um, I'm wondering if, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I guess it's kind of the Jungian stuff, the psychology stuff, like why are these, they float around in there and what do they yeah. mean? And are they mine? Are they ancestral? Are they, where does this, where is this, why is a stone always appearing? And yeah. Um, so those two came came to mind. Thank you for that question. It's a beautiful question. Those are yeah. the things that beautiful answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that as I try to think about a title for this to the latest work. I'm like, well, there's stones in the garden, and like I'm trying to figure, you yeah. know, like what are the the images that keep rising? Yeah, that's great. Gosh, mm-hmm. I know that I I could keep talking with you for a long time, and I will I will spare you from seriously having to listen to us. You're anymore. an amazing listener. You're yeah. too good of a listener. <laughs> I'm serious. People are gonna listen to this. They'll be like, "That was cool." That was like, a great interview. Nice to hear you, Brad. Yeah, I really appreciated this chance to talk with and hearing just more about you know the questions that are alive for both of you. I think it's helping me think into my questions as well so yeah well-being you know well-being mental physical it's it's what we have all the time Mm -hmm. you know sexuality mental well-being physical well-being you know there's like these five Mm. five ten things you know that are just like dominating you know for 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 me at least and Mm -hmm. and it's nice to to get someone who is in a field and you know and Mm -hmm. in a thriving in their field very specific field and then you talk about things that maybe aren't quite the field, but you get, you know, I, I love that dynamic and you dip in and out of it. I did want to ask, and I, we didn't ask you this beforehand. You sent me a couple of your poems, you reading your poems, uh, me and Ron were listening to them, but do you mind reading one of your poems, maybe a new poem, maybe an old one, whatever. Mm, yeah. To close. Take, yeah. Take, take us out on that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Um, well, I could, I could read. Um, it's, one of the letters, um, since we've talked about my dad and the stones and the garden so much, um, let's see if I can pull it up. I can read the letter I wrote to my dad after I, um, after we went to Gila River and let's see, I wish, I wish we had that, that poem that you wrote, wrote. 
Mm. And I'll, I'll put in the chat, um, if you want to read along, there's a version of it online. And then you can also read my, my dad's response to what I wrote to him. Um, I'll put that, I'll throw that in the chat. So the, Oh, that's your dad? Yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> so you, you know, Dave Lale, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> my husband, he took that photo. He did a oh. series of portraits. Mm. That's a good um, picture. And he did that one of my dad. So um, that's such a great photo yeah. portrait. Yeah. That's really good. So I'll read them. Um, now in the book, it's called um, Letter to My Father. <clears throat> There's a new way I see the garden now, the one you've been tending for decades on Garden Avenue of all names, the street of our family home. In haiku written by former camp prisoners, days and seasons are tracked by the falling leaves of the moss rose petal to earth. Poets in camp numbered months and years by the memory of their home gardens left behind on the West Coast, flowering rhododendrons and peony buds they imagined as vibrant, stalks remaining firm. I think of us traveling that week in the summer of 2019, away from California, along the train's course, through Arizona and on to Gila River how far I brought you from your garden. Did you think of the sagos, the summer tomatoes and basil, the azaleas and red maples, the night blooming lantana, trees needing trimming, grass going brown, all of the work awaiting you? Did you, did you imagine the dogs chirping, the silent white bucket, and mom dragging the hose across the lawn to wake the fountain? Here in the Southwest, I find myself pining for the great Central Valley as I did when I lived in New York or that decade by the bay, exhausted from cold bridges and colder waters, longing with my entire body for the landscapes of childhood's kingdom, smog dust and all. I understand now I am nothing. I am the daughter of a living father, blessed to be returning to you after our fire and ice travels through North American landscapes, spotted by our elders' lives, their prison desert homes, and other jails and prisons with and without bars or barbed wire. You were not taken. In the night and shirtless, you were not captured or broken by the century's light despite my nightmares. You took your time in the summer garden where Lee and I played as the light set Basling our bodies against mosquitoes, baking mud sweets in California's sugary dusk. Dad, your voice is wise now, beyond kindness. I'll see you soon. <laughs> that is beautiful. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's yeah, it's hard to get through. I felt nervous and like I wanted to cry. <laughs> I'll cry for you. I cry yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> but that one just yeah, it's well, that well, line. Of, yeah, you were not taken. That always makes me like, oh gosh. Oh, no, we're here. You know, we're alive. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Longing Thank with you all so my being for the landscape of child. It's of child. It's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. That's really. That, uh, Turns out you're a pretty good poet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um yeah this you know some of these letter poems are online that website yeah. I, I sent you both yeah. and um 
and they'll be in the third book, which is, yeah, 2023. So I'd love to share that with you both when it comes Please do. Out. That'd be such awesome. a gift. That'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Bryn. You're, you're a, a real gift. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing this with us. Yeah. yeah thank you both. Okay. Uh, hey, we'll let us know anytime you um, want to talk again, because this is, this is special and beautiful and, and I'm moved by it. I'm moved by uh, your sharing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Such gratitude, such gratitude for this work you're doing and this space you're both holding for these, these, this is it. This, these are the conversations we should be having. So I actually want to say one more thing with that is, is, um, you know, you asked Daniel about his, his routines and rituals and that kind of thing. And, and I wanted to say that this is a part of that for me. Mm. These conversations 100%. are how I hear from the divine. Mm. And, and I would say, like, I, I hear from God, like, all the time. Mm. And I hear it from conversations like this or, or hearing your work or any, any of those other things. And, I, mm. and everyone is as meaningful to me as any, any scripture I've ever read or, mm. or download I've ever heard in my brain. But thank you so much for. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And have a, have a beautiful solstice season. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Right. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Tell Dave we said okay. hi. Yeah. <laughs> Tell Dave we said hi. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, welcome to Cutting for Sign. This is Field Dressing. Yeah. Awesome. That's good. Hey, cool. Instagram. We're over there too. How you doing? I was t- I was really moved. I mean, uh, Bryn's um, poem uh, from you know the, from her book Dear Dash, which you had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, and then of course this poem about her dad was really moving. And uh, and I've been working and wrestling with my own memories of my father this last few years, working and writing, and 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 she hit on something. You know, there was a real reverence for her father and and where she grew up and the land she was in and the and all those things and i i know there's no amount of words i can say that'll capture that and i you know we'll put a link to uh that poem in the show notes but thing that was moving because of the work you've been doing all right you know, dad. i mean i cry all the time man i mean i i mean i don't know how many times you've seen me cry but i probably get teary-eyed like once a week thinking That's about it. things <laughs> do you cry more than that I cried last night and I cried during that podcast. Yeah. I mean, I probably do that. I mean, it's, it's often, it feels often to me. I feel like you, you cry more than that. That's, that's why. I definitely It wasn't, it wasn't, that's it. Like do better. (laughs) Is that all I got? It was that I don't believe it. I think that you cry more than that. Cause I see you cry all the time. Yeah. I I feel like I see you cry once a week. You got to be crying other than with me, unless I just bring it out of you. It's mostly you. It's mostly (laughs) you. (laughs) And it's usually. No, I cry. Hey guys, I cry all the time. And I do because I feel deeply about my experience on earth and my, and witnessing other people's experiences. And, and uh, it happens to be at strange times. I remember, I remember, um, maybe I'm projecting on certain people, but I've been, I've been in moments where I'm like trading money for coffee or something like that. And I, see pain in their face yeah and it it gets me and i'm you know i'm getting my change and trying not to cry about whatever i imagine that person is going through but you know as we were talking with bryn and talking about the different ways that we try to take care of ourselves and we mentioned 
relaxing our face and relaxing the tension in our body. And, and the reality is we're all carrying around some amount of stress and some amount of weight of not knowing the answer or wondering how things are going to turn out or, you know, I could, I could continue on ad nauseum around those things, but um, we don't know what each of us are going through. Yeah. And sometimes a small expression in someone's face or the tone of their voice gets me and, and reality sets in for me or yeah. I perceive to be reality. Well, no, I think that, that it kind of speaks to what we were talking about in the yeah. inner world. No. Yeah, you get something when you get something in the outer world that touches and aligns and individuates with the inner world, you know, maybe then an emotion gets expressed. And if our inner world is a landscape, there are places that are walled off and there's mm -hmm. places we don't go, you know, and maybe that's because there's a child in there crying and yeah. in pain or, yeah. you know, I don't want to get too like cheesy about it, you know, or just suffering in some way. And, but it's not like you can just be like, well, I want to go to that place all the time, especially potentially as men, especially potentially in this society. I, I don't really want to get too into that, but you know, when it comes for me, I'm like, I need the person I'm with to be supportive. Yeah. <laughs> like last night I was talking yeah. with someone, we were talking about, my, I was talking about my pops, you know, mm. and I was just like, it, I went to that spot. You know, mm -hmm. and I looked at this person's I don't know very well, mm -hmm. you know, but I like trusted them because they their body language was like they relaxed, mm -hmm. they didn't get uncomfortable. If they did get uncomfortable, they didn't give themselves shit for it. It yeah. was just we were just there. Yeah. And they didn't try to fix my problem. They didn't try to like talk about it. They just let me be, you know, because it I don't know why they did that, but I was very grateful, mm -hmm. you know. And I think when for me, tears are valuable. Tears are like tears are gold you mm -hmm. know and when it comes it needs to come and i i i really am a proponent of letting that out yeah yeah definitely <laughs> you know what i mean like adults cry yeah yeah this adult cries with some frequency <laughs> a high frequency <laughs> you know uh a little nice soundbite would be you saying uh, for like cutting for sign all time you know moments would be you saying, I, I say, how often do you cry? You say once a week. And I say, that's it? Like shame. <laughs> Is that all you got? Shame. Is that all you got? That was cool, man. That yeah. was cool. That, uh, uh, was that my first time crying on, on air? No. I've cried before. Uh, several times. <laughs> I See, that's the thing. You're I, a sensitive motherfucker. That's I am. awesome. I am. It's uh, good. I'm yeah. glad you do that. Yeah, yeah. It, I do. What... what uh, now, I, I kind of want to talk to poets more often now. I mean, because we, we were talking at the very beginning of the, of the um, podcast, we were talking about the need for nuance and the need for the way, the way, when you were talking earlier, what I kept thinking of was a ball of yarn and, and how threads can come up on a ball of yarn and you're not quite sure where you need to start to unwind it. And mm, yeah, and I think that's where language and poetry help i don't know if they solve it but they help or they help me yeah at least understand something a little bit deeper they do you know it's cool that you say that because they do, poet poems do a good poet and i don't mean to like judge or rank poet, wouldn't even be beginning to know how yeah yeah but for me i reckon there's a certain thing that a poet that a poem can do where is they shine light or crystallize um uh before before that moment 
nebulous idea mm. it's like that moment that a nebula has been like spinning for millions of years and then it starts to ignite a star you know mm. and that transition from nebula to star is what poets do a good poet does for me a good poet could just be you wrote a poem that allowed you to work through something and express something that's a good poet poem too don't get me wrong but a professional good like there's yeah. just another level that, yeah. that that is out there and it's it's always mysterious to me. Like, how do you decide whether it used to be, how do you decide whether or not someone's poetry is good, you know, and that you want to publish it. And then you read someone, read someone's poetry. Who's like, they've got a command of the language. It's not even the command of the language. That's just the tool. It's that they felt something and saw something. And then they were able to capture it and make a, a, a sculpture out of it with words. Yeah. I think you wrote a poem just a few minutes, just a moment ago when you called. <laughs> a nebula turning into a star what a poet does I, I think that's what they do man yeah. yeah it's beautiful and it's rare i was recently last year i was dating uh briefly dating someone who was a, a poet like a professional poet mm. published professional poet mm -hmm. and i was like let me read, let me read your poetry you know <laughs> ready yeah, let, me, let me read it <laughs> and i read it and i was like you're good yeah <laughs> and i was like tip of the cap girl because that's fucking gangster that's so good i was so touched oh you know? man you know <laughs> it's, yeah it's um that's how i felt listening to Bryn just now like i you know we we listened to some of her work before and i had gotten into some of her work prior and uh but then to hear her do it for us her you know to perform and read that um and then also hearing some backstory i think that's a real treasure of this episode because she gives us some backstory to the poem itself that she reads mm. and yeah, that inner yes. world answer that she gave was yeah. great. So yeah. good. So, like, so good. That's it right there. Someone who has a body of work, yeah. it's honest, it's creative, it's something they put intent, conscious intention to, but they, for some reason, are able to uh, at, still have the door to their subconscious open and communicating with their mm. conscious and then get crystallized or put onto a, a page. And then you do that for a career, you know, and now mm. you have a body of work and you look back and she's like, yeah, you know, stones keep coming up I, without my, yeah. you know, my, it's not my will, you know, and then you're like, yeah, so maybe there's a little secret place in Bryn's inner world where there's a garden yeah. and there's statues of her, of her family, but these statues are also alive, mm. but they, the, the, the rules are different in the inner world and you don't have to eat and be blood, but they're alive. So yeah. there's stones, but they're alive. And I just like, playing with that is i think it's so valuable it is so valuable it is so so valuable um yeah that is really valuable i'm i'm, I'm still kind of like enthralled by that poem she she made for, i mean she 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 produced she performed for us she read to us um i'm stammering for words because it's it's powerful when you hear someone who has command and i'm sure she edited that many times yeah. and all those things and it's crafted like it. a letter into right into a yeah poem. i love that stuff i do I too that. i totally do sometimes i'll do that with my old logs really yeah when i was in like a very yeah. a very uh honest place in my life very expressive place in words i do a lot of yeah. logging a little journaling yeah you know and i'll look back at them like god that was just a chunk of flesh like living and expressing and that i wasn't in my own way as much you know yeah i didn't have as much cumin around craft yeah. is yeah. i do maybe maybe do now but i was more honest and yeah. it's like well well how about i take some things i've learned now take this little log page and craft something out of it you know the one one of the things that 
really stood out to me and I didn't have an articulation around it until we until we till she left but it came from hearing her story about um growing up both Christian and Buddhist yeah. and then having her Christian minister who was a Methodist um and Methodists in the Christian world have always been pretty progressive and open and and mm. kind of on the forward edge of of in the evangelical world like being just open okay. is her lack of shame around her existence and okay. and i think for christians and the reason why why that's important to me is if the majority of people i i speak with who come out of christian upbringing and there are rare there are rare exceptions and i can think of matt brunk who was our you know one of the guys that we interviewed before um there's a lot, there's oftentimes like shame, especially growing up in a culture where she was both Christian and Buddhist. And I grew up where, what you know, you're like, what's the big deal? Shame around what? Yeah, like, yeah. Shame, well, shame, just like big shame. Just shame. shame like I grew what? up uh, where my dad wasn't accepted because he was a Mason. So my Christian family oh. judged my dad who was, not, who was considered a, in a cult. Shame about being Christian is what you're talking about? Just shame. Just the shame of existing. Like, just, like, like you're impressed that she wasn't shameful because she was because she was um that it just didn't even come into her vocabulary, it sounds like. Like mm. there was like or even like from her Korean family about her her Japanese mm. family. I mean, It'd be a, interesting to talk to her about shame. Yeah. It would be. I, I wish mean, we I'm, would have almost I I, like... I wanna talk about it to everybody. And but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. Um the the um, the freedom that she has around those things is really refreshing to me and and i and it's odd to me because i, I that's not how i grew up and so it's i i my pro i'm i'm rewriting the software as you as you described you know and, yeah and i'm and i'm picking it up from folks like brand or folks like you or others where i see somebody weigh the paradoxes of life and try to heal themselves or, or grow or to calm their nervous systems or to be um, a contributing member of society and do so from a place that's not out of fear, guilt, and shame. And that is so foreign to me, like so wildly strange to me that I'm like, what the hell is going on over there? Yeah. Why are those people allowed to act like that? And, and and I'm realizing, oh, it's because I was programmed to feel shame from the moment I was born, and and realizing now, like, oh, that's that's abusive. That's you know, <laughs> it's like a, a fucked up way to to raise a kid to tell them they're always bad no matter what. And and when I hear someone who says I was I was both of these things and accepted as both of these things and and accepts herself as both of those things, is is like gosh it's yeah. beautiful to me like, like that's like a full cup of water it's amazing like when we were talking about inner world stuff it's like shame yeah what creates that it's like it's like there's something inside you that is stuck saying that you're wrong or bad or not good enough or like that you should be embarrassed you know or whatever there's a bunch of ways to say it right yeah now. but it's like how the fuck do you get down there and and like change that narrative you know like there's this idea that subconscious is just like its own repetition yeah it doesn't have a conscious mind it doesn't have there's no choice there and so yeah. i i always think of a great book would be 
to intend to go into your inner world, make it into a landscape, bring your conscious character there and start like this automated world and start bringing choice and empower this world to like make a choice. I think of Narnia, the, mm-hmm. the book of Narnia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they kind of did that. It was like they went down and it was all cold. Mm. And it was like the queen had the rule over everything. And everyone yeah. kind of like was like set in their ways. Yeah. And then something goes into there and they mix it up. And I kind of think of the apotheosis of an, a piece of art that I could personally do or as an artist mm. would be to do that, at least for myself. And then maybe if it worked, like help help others do that too because mm. there's i, I want to get into the inner world and these long old ancient voices and just start updating them and being like you don't need to say that anymore yeah you know it's not yeah. true yeah and i'm the one that has more power not the like subconscious right. voice which can yeah. seem so powerful you yeah know what I mean? oh i too i know i totally what you mean i mean it's it's it i it, i hate to admit it but i have to say out loud very often you know some antithesis of the shame i feel by nature just from the culture i grew oh, up in yeah and 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 it's it's like wacky to me that i'm a 40 something year old man who's like dealing with things from my pre-verbal formation and and then i think well like shit we're all dealing with some version of that some way somehow of of our value our place in the world how we see ourselves, and and the but the but you know, I think that's what is going back to your the way you graded your yourself earlier. You gave yourself a C minus, C minus. It's better than a D. You know, it's a D last year. Yeah, I yeah, and I. But that's trending. Sh- I think that's the shame, though, man. It's like there's, but you're measuring it against no, something that you think should be more. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay to get a C minus in this world huh. because it can motivate. It, it, you can give yourself a grade, good or bad. You can give yourself a shameful yeah. A, probably. You know. Oh, interesting. I have a C minus. Huh. I'm okay with that. I'm proud of that. The best grade I got in college, I was in college for eight motherfucking years. I took a lot of classes. And the hardest class I ever took was organic chemistry. Uh-huh. And I worked my ass off in this class. And guess what I got? A D. C minus. And wow. I was so proud of that C yeah. minus, man. Yeah, it felt yeah. like an A. My C minus feels like an A. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well said. I am going to <laughs> I am going to see if I can find an acceptable place in me because there's a part of me that wants to be excellent in a plus all the time in everything I do. And I, and I think that, and Bryn talked that's about that earlier, pressure. that ego, it's a crazy amount of pressure, <laughs> well, stop but that. I know, see, but, but that's have seen mice every once in a while. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, I'm like, I'm like, okay, let's like Dude, allow myself. To... I can, I can grade you C minus in all kinds of parts of your life. <laughs> I got your back, bro. <laughs> Shut this off. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I gotta go. I got a right. hard stop now, man. That was cool. All right. Bye everybody. <laughs> <laughs>